If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey everybody, the February 2021 Roundup is brought to you by Fun Again Games. And February is over the shortest month of the year, only 28 days, and yet a lot of stuff happened. And today, in this video, I am going to be talking about the games that happened in Rado Runs Through Land. Got 15 to talk about between what my wife Jen and I played and what Shay, my contributor, played. And, uh... Yeah, a lot of really fun stuff, had a great time, and uh, without any further ado, let's just jump right into it with Shay's first game, The Chamber of Wonders, uh, which is on Kickstarter right now. This is a paid preview that Shay did for what's basically a worker placement game, uh, which is all about trying to create a a uh, Chamber of Wonders You're in Victorian-era Europe, trying to collect all these oddities and whatnot, and doing some basic card set collection. But what makes it interesting is it's worker placement fused with following actions, like what you see in Race for the Galaxy of Puerto Rico, where when one player does an action, all the other players get to do a weaker version of that action. And uh, it's a really cool idea to meld that with worker placement to create something kind of special and original, with a very quirky and offbeat presentation style. Uh, Shea seemed to really dig it quite a bit. It's doing very, very well on Kickstarter. It's still live right now. And that was Shay's Chamber of Wonders. Although it wasn't Shay's. It was, it was Chamber of Wonders covered by Shay. Uh, and then after that, Shay also covered The Dwellings of Eldervale, which is certainly one of the hottest games on the market right now. Everybody is super stoked for this worker placement game that really is... Man, I don't even know where to start trying to sum it up. It does so many things. There's area control and and combat and uh, you know getting more cool, powerful troops and casting spells and um, you know wielding magic. But all of it, one of the I think from what I saw uh, watching Shay, which she did a great run through. I really have a good sense for the game now. I think what's the most interesting thing about it is the titular dwellings themselves. Because as you're sending your workers out to this fantastical world to do stuff, you can actually have them move or, you know, set up shop and start living on the worker placement board. And they will stay there. And you will have lost a worker for the rest of the game. Which, if you know worker placement games, that's very, very painful. But you have traded that away for very, very cool bonuses you get by actually building these dwellings. And I love that. You know, the notion of getting something really great, but having to give up something maybe even better. But if you don't build those dwellings first, somebody else might beat you to it. And it's it's a gorgeous game. Really huge production with trays and all kinds of things. And you can check out Shay's video to learn more about why this is such an incredibly hot game right now, The Dwellings 
of Elderville. Then Shay covered Skyline Express, another game on Kickstarter. He did a paid preview. And this is another set collection game, although it's very, very interesting. It's all about drafting these passengers that want to catch a ride on your uh, Skyline Express, which is uh, you know kind of a steampunk, beautiful Victorian era, lush, luxurious uh, form of travel and um, train travel. And the, the crux of it is the passengers you are getting and assigning to different seats in your passenger car, they all have very specific things they want to do. Maybe they want to sit and be alone. Maybe they want to sit and have other uh, members of their same profession. Or maybe they want to be sitting with uh, people from different professions. And at any given time, the game has a bunch of different objectives that are all available to you. Some of them are long-term. that takes you quite a while to build. Some of them are ones you can get grab really quick. And so much of this game is about grabbing the right passenger, slotting them into the right position to hopefully be able to fulfill several different objectives before the objectives trigger. Because you only have so much time before all the passengers have been picked up, and then there is a scoring, and then a whole bunch of new passengers come out. Sometimes uh, special elite passengers come out that have very specific personal things they want, and, uh, and you have a lot to balance trying to figure out the best way to um, basically stack these people in your cars. And once they're in there, move them around to maybe allow them to take care of multiple objectives. And uh, the game itself, from what I can see from the run-through, is actually just a fairly straightforward, rules-light family gateway game. But it comes with expansions that allow you to add extra levels of complexity. Like, not only do you have to take care of the passengers, but you have to get their luggage into the right slots as well. Seems very sharp. It looks absolutely lovely. And uh, you can learn more about it uh, in Shay's a run-through of, or preview of Skyline Express. And then the last thing Shay covered was his biggest game of the month, and certainly probably one of the biggest, hottest games on Kickstarter, probably the biggest, hottest game on Kickstarter right now, Tiny Epic Dungeons. And really, I mean, if you've paid it all attention to the Tiny Epic series over the years, you have to wonder, what took so long? This is such a no-brainer to do Tiny Epic Dungeons to squeeze everything you expect from a big, sprawling, cooperative fantasy dungeon crawl into a tiny little box with a bunch of tiles and unique player characters and special bosses and uh, really fun, simple, elegant, fast-playing Euro mechanisms. Plus a healthy dollop of uh, you know d- uh, dice rolling for combat resolution and all that stuff as well. According to Shay, it ticks all the boxes of an epic dungeon crawl in a wonderful tiny form, and it is blowing up on Kickstarter. It's just absolutely huge. Might be one of the biggest ones of the year, even though we're only just into February now. So if you'd like to know more about Tiny Epic Dungeons, uh, check out Shay's excellent run-through. Okay. So, those are uh, Shay's four games out of the way. Let's talk about my 11. And as always, folks, Shay, I was just doing them in alphabetical order, but from now on, I am doing a countdown from our least favorite to our most favorite game of the month. This month, we had no expansions or anything like that, so it's just all new games. And let's get going with my number 11. Maglev Metro. And do not be fooled by this coming in at the at the uh, high-end slot at number 11. Uh, That is not a reflection of the quality of the gameplay here because this is a brilliant 
pickup and deliver game fused with engine building. And that is an awesome combination because as you lay track to create this futuristic magnetic levitation um, zero, uh, you know, know, 100% green, you know, no carbon emissions, perfect future form of transportation around uh, the cities of the future, as you deliver your passengers, uh, you don't just score points off of them. You actually take them and slot them onto your player board and basically program yourself to have cooler, bigger, more interesting special powers and way to score points. So, like any pickup and deliver game, you are moving as fast as you can to pick up uh, passengers, either passengers or worker robots in one location, zip them over to another location, but then that's just where the decision making starts. Because how you deploy these robots to make you better at picking up, or better at delivering, or better at moving, or better at creating new stations, or bringing more passengers into the simulation, uh, you've got a lot of decisions to make. And the interesting thing is, even after you put your passengers in the slots, your robots in the slots, you can reprogram them later and totally change your engine. That, I think, is by far the coolest thing about Maglev Metro, the engine building stuff. So why does it come in at number 11? Honestly, because... Jen and I are just not big pickup and deliver fans. And, uh, you know, this game does pick up and deliver brilliantly, but still, that's just not something we tend to go for. But I really respect the heck out of the excellent engine building on the game. And if we, and I gotta say, this is one of the coolest, most clever, smart pickup and delivers I've ever played. It's just not our bag. Why did I even decide to cover it then? If I knew I wasn't gonna be a big fan of pickup and deliver, there's one other thing that makes this game so cool. When you are laying tiles down uh, that represents the the different rail lines that you are going to be able to travel to be able to pick up and deliver passengers all over the city. These rail lines are actually transparent plastic uh, hex tiles. And what that means is it is very, very easy for other players to build rail lines that o- intersect with yours and cross over yours or occupy the same space as yours. And that gives you so much more freedom, freedom and flexibility to design the perfect route to do maximum efficiency pick up and deliver. And it is a blast. And when the game is over, I mean, I was very impressed that, you know, it feels like, I mean, my wife, Jen, and I, we lived in London for years. And, um, you know, if you've ever seen the the map of the tube system, you know, the, the subway system in London, it felt like we actually created one. And I mean, the production value on this game is through the roof. Everything is double or triple layer. The the translucent or the, the transparent tiles, the cool, neat little uh, robot and passenger meeples, uh, it's all really excellent. And, um, and if all that weren't enough, every time you play, you get a handful of four completely different objectives. And it's tough to be able to score all of them. So it's a game full of tough ag- agonizing decisions. And so if you like Pick Up and Deliver It All, you've really got to check out Maglev Metro. Okay, then we move on to my number 10 of the month. So, You've Been Eaten, which was a paid Kickstarter preview for a game that's actually going to launch in March, I think on the first week of March. I'll have to double check that because i got to get this video ready to go. But what is it? Uh, Well, it was a paid Kickstarter preview for an asymmetric two-player battle of wits. One player is a space miner who has come to a location to mine rare, fantastic science fiction crystals. Unfortunately, he has to mine all of these crystals out of the gastrointestinal tract of a gigantic space slug. So he's gone right down the gullet and is zipping around in the belly trying to get all these crystals and trying not to get digested. So that's one player's role. And that player is doing a kind of dice worker placement, push your luck rolling uh, style game that works very, very nicely. The other player 
is the space slug, or more to the point, is the uh, uh, the the gastrointestinal tract of the space slug. Uh, yeah, you are as the second player are in control of deploying the immune response forces, the bacteria that is going to try to eat away at the uh, the space miner's suit, and really what you're doing is playing a uh, a hand management pattern building game to try to get um, you know the. The, I don't know, the, the acidity level of your stomach just right so that you can deploy your, um, your, uh, you know, the, uh, the immune responses to take this astronaut out. Both players are playing radically different games going head to head, and it's, Excellent. It's also hilarious. It's got a really great sense of humor in the rule books. And um, if all that weren't enough, is if two player head to head, you can also play it solo, playing as either the minor or the uh, the stomach. And uh, and go up against uh, another opponent. And if you want, you can have the two automated opponents that you use in solo to go up against each other, so the game can literally play itself. Which I demoed in the run through is kind of a first for the channel. Anyway, it's excellent. The moment I saw this game, I first heard about it from designer Scott Olms, who recently made my top ten, my updated top ten game designers list. I knew I wanted to check it out. Plus, it's got awesome art from Quan Chi Moria, one of the hottest artists in the industry. Now, I kind of suspected it wasn't going to be a game for me in general. Because generally speaking, we don't like chess match style battles of wits trying to figure out uh, how to one-up your opponent and beat them at their own game. But um, I had to try it anyway because who says there are not new, fresh, interesting ideas in the board game industry? If you're one of those people who says, I'm so sick of the same old, same old, then you might want to check out So You've Been Eaten. We did, and while it wasn't for us because at the end of the day, you either play it as a fun little solo game, or you play it as a chess match battle of wits. Uh, and Jen and I, we don't like to we like to build things rather than try to attack each other. But in spite of that, we could not help but enjoy ourselves with my number 10 of the month. So, you've been eaten. Okay, then let's move on to number 9. X-Men Mutant Insurrection, which is basically a re-implementation, a, a revamp, a 2.0 of a very popular, very well-loved cooperative dice game called Elder Sign. I covered Elder Sign on the channel a million years ago, and I thought it was pretty cool, but I'll be honest, uh, my wife Jen was not particularly fond of the eldritch horror, uh, you know, the uh, the Lovecraftian Cthulhu mythos setting. It was all kinds of creepy and all that. And so, when I heard that uh, the, the original designer, Richard Launius, and a co-designer, I'm sorry, I can't remember the co-designer's name, oh my goodness, but uh, they were working on a new updated version of the system that's set with super Superheroes fighting supervillains. I'm like, yes, that's more my speed. And while the X-Men have never been my particular favorite, I have a certain fondness for them. So we tried it out, and Jen and I both think it's fantastic. Uh, it is, uh, at its heart, a cooperative Yahtzee game where um, basically every round there's a whole bunch of hotspots around the world. The X-Men can get into the Blackbird and fly around. And, and basically when they get to a location, they can roll re-roll and re-roll one more time to try to get the right icons to overcome whatever disaster they come across or supervillain they have to fight. And if players, um, multiple players deploy to the same space, they can actually cooperate. In in the cooperation in this game is so much better than it ever was in Elder Sign. Elder Sign, it was everybody just kind of 
there's tiny bits of cooperation, but here um, there are players can create emotional bonds where if they stick together, they get special bonuses unless those bonds are broken because of failure. And then suddenly, um, former best friends become um, you know uh, you know they can't stand each other, and then you suffer penalties if they stay together. But you might want to stay together anyway because players can also assist each other by trading dice back and forth and giving each other special powers. There's a lot of really cool ideas here, and like I said, I think what I appreciate most is just how cooperative this game is. It's a challenging game, and it really requires players making really smart decisions. Um, you know, and and not just for you know where where they try to deploy and how they try to share resources, but also the rolling and re-rolling. Because one of the faces you can roll when you're trying to do the Yahtzee stuff to defeat challenges, you roll this villainy face. And you don't have to re-roll that. If you do re-roll it, you will suffer penalties. If you don't re-roll it, though, so you can avoid the penalties, you have fewer dice to actually overcome the challenges. And that makes every round of this Yahtzee cooperative game interesting and engaging. And if all that weren't enough, I have rarely seen a game that pushes narrative and storytelling in a cooperative sphere as much as this. I think most cooperative games these days really borrow a lot from Pandemic. Look, it's a it's a implicitly engaging space, but we're just going to have you interact with a bunch of card draws. Here, every time you play, there is going to be a real story that develops and cards that reference other cards that lead to other events happening. Very impressive. Our only problem with this, and the reason it comes in at number 9 is, as much as I love everything about the gameplay here and the presentation and all of that, the two-player scaling was less than ideal. And that broke my heart. It works, but so much of what makes the game special just disappears in the... All but disappears in the two-player game. Here's the deal, folks. I like this game so much, I'm thinking about doing some house rules. Same way I did for Time Stories back in the day. And I'll probably be experimenting with that next month, and it looks like I might be covering it soon. Um, because right now, it's just Jen and I have only played it for Patreon backers. Uh, you know, one of the... Uh, one of the... Uh, bonuses of being backing my show on Patreon is every month I do a couple of run-throughs that only backers get to see. Uh, but anyway, long story short, if you have three or more players, I think it's phenomenal. If you have two players, well, check back with me later and I'll see if I can come up with a uh, with a good two-player game. I've got some ideas. I think it might work. But anyway, that's currently my number nine of the month, X-Men Mutant Insurrection. Then we go on to number eight, Sleeping Gods. Okay, now I covered this a couple of years ago when it was on Kickstarter. And I recently got the uh, the new release that uh, is just now going out to uh, backers. And I'm, I'm as blown away now as I was two years ago. Jen and I, we sat down, we played it for, I don't know, I couldn't even tell you, somewhere between three and five hours. It just, time just disappears. It just melts away while you're playing this incredibly epic, uh, maybe the most epic Euro-style cooperative game the industry has ever seen. And yes, I'm including Gloomhaven in that. Because the sheer audacity of the breadth and scope of the world that the, the designer artist Ryan Lockett has created here, though he didn't all alone, he uh, does, definitely had co-writers, to make a sprawling, epic game that it has come closer than any other board game to capturing the open world video game feel of stuff like Red Dead Redemption. This is a world where you can just pick a direction and go and feel like there's an infinite uh, amount of possibilities. You never know what you're going to find. Uh, and you can go, you can see this in my original run-through of the prototype I did a couple of years ago. It was interesting to play because there's a, uh, there's been some tweaks and balance adjustments and stuff like that. The single biggest change is uh, Ryan, since I did my original run-through, 
added an entire worker placement game where on your turn, before you actually uh, decide what you're going to do, whether you're going to explore islands or repair the ship or go shopping or whatever you might do or just go sailing, uh, you get to activate the ship. The ship itself becomes a character, the manticore that we're all relying on to stay alive in this Land of the Lost style world we find ourselves in. And it adds an excellent... Um, extra level of depth to the uh, experience. And then on top of that, it still features one of the most brilliant card combat systems I have ever seen. It's so good, in fact, that the expansion for it adds an arcade mode where you can just, uh, if you want, you can just have a series of big boss battles and just use this really neat system, which again, I demonstrated a couple of years ago. And I'm actually thinking about doing that in my next live Rotto runs through, just showing off the arcade mode so I can show how the game works without spoiling any of the story, because I don't want to spoil any of the story. Anyway, it's fantastic. I'm sure a lot of people are going to give this game of the year when we're getting into December time, because everybody loves it. So you might wonder, why did I put it at my number eight? Why are there seven games I rank higher? At the end of the day, it is a wonderful experience. And Jen and I, were definitely enjoying it, and we're definitely keeping it. That's a very important thing to say. But it's interesting. One of the core elements of this design is what's often referred to as failing forward. When you um, have to overcome obstacles or challenges, whether it's talking to people or climbing cliffs or whatever, if you fail, because there is a simple little skill check system you can use, you can uh, you know you can't you can optionally if you want to commit certain resources to try to succeed at the test. Then you draw a card and see if you succeed or not by you know adding up all the resources. And even if you uh, if you don't quite get it, then you can spend other types of resources. After after the test, but even if all things, you try everything and it still fails, you'll still complete the test. You'll just take a little bit of damage and there's kind of this attrition game. And there's nothing wrong with this. Actually, I think it's brilliant. The game never stops your forward progress. You are always able to succeed at what you want to do. But that makes it almost less of a game and more of an experience, more of a shared communal uh, you know, storybook adventure. And that's great. But Jen and I, and, and Jen, like I said, we found ourselves compelled. We're keeping the game. We want to keep exploring this world. But um, I, I think what I need to do is there is what's called brutal mode. And maybe we need to give that a try because maybe that's just going to up the stakes a little bit. So I just feel the fear a little bit more because that's really about the only thing it's missing. I mean, I compare it to Ryan Lockett's previous games, which have all been competitive. And it just feels like there's like a, a slight edge that's not here that I'm used to in his games. Just that sense of danger. And to be fair, this can still be a dangerous game. The combat can be pretty punishing and unforgiving. But I just want a little bit more to push me. So that's why Sleeping Gods comes in. At, but, but again... And number eight, it is such an amazing, absolutely gobsmacking, I've not seen anything this big and ambitious and successful at everything it set out to do since uh, Gloomhaven. You know, I mean, you know, this goes up there with your Gloomhavens and your Seventh Continent as one of the biggest, most uh, bombastic, audacious games you've ever seen. And what's even more amazing, it was all done by the tiniest handful of people. One writer, or one, one designer artist, and then a couple of other writers helping him flesh that out. It's amazing what Red Raven Games has done. And, you know, quite frankly, if you want to see how amazing Red Raven is, just as an aside, right now on Kickstarter, they are trying to get funding for a documentary called, um, what's it, Crafting Arzium. 
which is basically an entire documentary movie that is following Ryan and his wife Mallory around for a couple of years as they work on their next big game, which is called Now or Never. And so I'm really excited to watch this because finally the magic of how Ryan does all this stuff will come to light with this. And if you want to check that out, um, you know, again, just do a Google search for Kickstarter, finding A-R-Z-I-U-M, Arzium. And uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a very cool uh, documentary as well. But anyway, that was it. My number eight of the month. Sleeping Gods. Okay, then let's go on to number seven, Red Rising. The latest design from board game superstar Jamie Stegmeier. Um, although, again, he did have co-designer on this one. Was it his... Uh, right, actually, the box is right there. Hold on a second, folks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sorry, I didn't remember the other co-designer, but it was, oh, Alexander Schmidt joined Jamie to design uh, Red Rising, which is based on a very, very popular science fiction book series. Uh, it, it, I, I've not read the books, but it kind of feels like, oh, it's the far future and mankind is uh, kind of maybe got some Dune type stuff with political intrigue and turmoil. I've never read Red Rising, but apparently they're great, great books. All I know is this is a great, great game. Very, very smart, um, competitive game where on your turn, you've got a hand of cards. You are going to play one of them to one of four depots on the board uh, to trigger its ability. And then you are going to take a card from one of the other three depots and add it to your hand. So you're going to swap one card for another. At the end of the game, which is after certain thresholds have been reached, you know, collecting resources and whatnot, the cards you have in your hand are what you will actually score. And um, really, the best way to describe this, when I talked about it in my run-through, is this is a cross and a fusing of fantasy realms and lost cities. And that is an amazing, amazing combination of uh, gameplay styles. And uh, yeah, Jen and I were blown away by it. Sorry, folks, I need a drink of water. My throat is just going out on me. Ah, anyway. So, we were very, very impressed by this game. It's fun. It's fast. It's not quite a filler. <clears throat> it's got a little bit more going on. But, wow. I mean, the depth of the combos you can do in this game. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I put it right up there with your Res Arcanas and your Race for the Galaxies. I think this game is that good and has legs. So many cards. So many different cool special powers. And all the rest of it. And a really great production, too. Really nice art. Really cool components. Um, so, why isn't it higher on the list? Well, there is one thing. It does feature, like a lot of card combo games, like Raze Arcana or, um, or uh, Terraforming Mars, it features uh, some take-that cards where you can steal stuff from other players or block them and do various things. And I'm uh, just never a fan of that. And often, those kinds of cards will make Jen and me say, oh, that was neat, but I don't think we need to play it again. The brilliant thing about this game is, since you use these cards to either play them to the board to activate their powers, including those take-that abilities, or you keep them in your hand so you can score them at the end, what Jen and I found is, we just weren't inclined to use them. We're going, oh, well, I've got this card. Well, I guess this is one I'm going to try and score at the end of the game. And it turns from a card I would ever want to play to attack you and mess with your stuff to one of my first objective that I'm going to try and build my entire strategy. 
strategy around. And just instantly, that's so brilliant. These multi-use cards that a lot that I mean, you know, there are other games that have attack cards where you can say, oh, you just don't have to bother to attack. But eventually you'll feel like, no, I really should attack. That's the best thing I can do with that card. In this game, that's not the case. And I'm really impressed. That said, the game does still have them. And so that's basically what has knocked it down a few pegs from being like in the top three of the month. Because the gameplay deserves it. Um, and you know, it's just that, hey, what is it? I think there's a half a dozen attack cards. I would have rather that be a half a dozen other kinds of cool powers I could have. So I'm just knocking it down a few. And by the way, totally coincidentally, knocking it into the number seven slot. I didn't realize until I was just putting this together. It came as my number seven. And I don't know why. Number seven must have something to do with the book series because seven has a huge importance in the actual game itself, the number seven. And coincidentally, I promise, it's my number seven of the month, Red Rising. Then we've got number six, The Eternal Palace, which is another paid Kickstarter preview I did for a game that will be going live in March. I believe that's the case in middle of March, I think. And what is it? Well, it is a Euro-style game where we are collecting resources to be able to build great works and wonders and, co- and score victory points, like so many games. Uh, and that's okay. What's interesting about it is the way you do it. This is a dice worker placement game. At the beginning of every round, you roll your dice and um, you take them behind a shield, after everybody's seen what dice you rolled, and then you break them up into work groups. Like, say I rolled uh, a two a three uh, and uh, and a six. I'm, and, and over the course of the game, you get more and more dice. By the end of the game, you're rolling five dice. Uh, so, but say it's mid game and I'm rolling a two, a three, and a six. I take those and I could actually say, well, you know what? I'll do an action in space two, in space three, and space six. I'll do three actions. Or I can combine the two and three so there are five, and that means I can do two actions in space five and space six. Or I could combine the um, all three of them and make it in 11 and go to space 11. As you might imagine, the higher spaces generally do cooler stuff. The lower spaces do more basic stuff. And Every round you have to do this, and the decision-making that goes into, how am I going to use these dice? How am I going to bundle them together to do the best ideal deployments? Bearing in mind that other players are trying to go to those spaces too. And if I try to say, oh, I'm going to turn that 2-3 into a 5, but before you hid your dice away, I saw that you rolled two fives. You might use one of those fives to go to space five. And if you get there before me, then I'll have to pay extra resources to get in. So maybe I shouldn't combine them. But who knows? Maybe you're going to take those two fives and combine them into a ten. Because I can see the resources you have. And you probably want to go work on the golden ox or the bronze ox statue. But still, we eventually figure out how we're going to use the dice. We reveal at the same time. And we gasp. Or we say, oh, thank gosh, you you kept those fives together. That means you can't break them up and block my five. But then, once the worker placement starts, we have wisdom chips that allow us to manipulate our dice. So somebody could still go, I mean, it's brilliant. It reminds me a lot of kind of a light, almost gateway level, maybe a gateway plus level version of Dungeon Pets. And, um, you know, breaking up your workforce into different groups, planning to do stuff, but then once everybody reveals, your plans might go in a very different direction is brilliant. And on top of that, the game is absolutely gorgeous. Like I said, it was a paid Kickstarter preview. Uh, It's coming in March. My number six of the month, Eternal Palace. Then we've got number five, Sagani, which is the latest uh, tile-laying game. From designer Uwe Rosenberg, Mr. Agricola himself. And over the last few years, he has been doing a series of of different style tilers, mostly polyominoes. But this one is kind of a follow-on to a game that he co-designed with Korn Van Musel. uh, Was it last year or the year before? Nova Luna. 
And this is actually kind of like a streamlined Nova Luna, if you've played that one. If you haven't played it, here's the deal. There are tiles. We are you know, taking turns, drafting them, and adding them to our own big collection. This is a very abstract style game. Supposedly, the tiles represent nature spirits that we're trying to wake up uh, because the, the tiles come face down. And the t each tile says, hey, for me to open up to awaken the spirit within, I have to be... Somewhere north of me, there has to be a white tile. And somewhere east of me, there has to be a green tile. And somewhere northeast of me, there has to be a green tile. And so, I put this down in my big collection, my jigsaw puzzle of tiles I'm building, and I've created an objective for myself where I've got to get all these other color tiles all over the place. And that may sound really simple, but this game is hard. It is a very rough, challenging game. Because to keep track of where you have and have not put all the adjoining tiles that will make any one given tile be able to score points, you have to cover, you have to use these little tokens to keep track of. Right. Well, this, this needs three connectors. I've done one and I've got two more on here. If you run out of those tokens because you are taking more tiles and adding them to complete existing tiles, but you're not completing those existing tiles fast enough, you're very quickly running out of those tokens that allow you to take more tiles. And when that happens, you start having to take negative tiles that will really hurt you. So this is a fiendishly clever game. Um, and Jen and I really liked it a lot, even though it's very abstract. I mean, there's a little bit of a theme. It was kind of enough. But yeah, really, really good stuff. Simple, clean, elegant, streamlined game, very pretty, very... Well, no. I was about to say very fast playing. But that's my one complaint about the game. This can be an incredibly analysis paralysis inducing game uh, where you've got five tiles to choose from and you're trying to figure out where should I put this so that it can um, be triggered by tiles I previously placed but I need to put it in a, so that it will allow me to trigger tiles I previously placed. And trying to puzzle that out can get incredibly challenging. Uh, we've only played as a two-player game and I suspect that's probably the best way to play this game. But regardless... Jen and I were head over heels, uh, absolutely, totally a keeper, and uh, it's my number five of the month. Uh, so far, Uwe Rosenberg's having a good year. I uh, had Holler Tau, I talked about that last month, I think, or in January, and Sagani is phenomenal as well, and uh, that's my number five of the month. Then we go on to number four. Terraforming Mars, the Ares Expedition. Now, this is another paid Kickstarter preview. And this, like I mentioned, Tiny Epic Dungeons before, uh, this is also blowing up. I wonder which one will top... Who wants to take bets at the end of... You know, when, when both of these projects finish, will Tiny Epic Dungeons or Terraforming Mars, Ares, come out on top? Because these are two of the hottest properties out there. I think my money is on Tiny Epic Dungeons, but... Time will tell. But regardless, this comes in at our number four of the month because it is brilliant. It is excellent. This basically could have been called Terraforming Mars Express because it takes the board out. And all of the considerations for trying to literally terraform Mars by you know um, building cities and having the lakes expand and all that stuff, all of that is simplified and streamlined away. So now it's 100% about the card combo engine building. And there's nothing else besides that. And while you know a big portion of the original game is taken out, the, the, the literal terraforming of Mars, what it has been replaced with is a very cool action selection system that is very clearly inspired by the uh, role following of a game like Race for the Galaxy, or Puerto Rico, or San Juan, or so many other games. There are so many games, Eminent Domain, that do the, hey, one player picks an action and everybody follows. This one does actually have, I think, a very interesting twist 
on the standard formula that we liked quite a bit. You can watch my run-through to see how it works. Um, but long story short, terraforming Mars fused with um, uh, Race for the Galaxy... That is a marriage made in heaven, and the game is phenomenal. And there's one other reason we absolutely loved it. It took out all of the Take That cards that were in the original Terraforming Mars. So this is now totally a live and let live game, and we really loved it. Um, the only reason, the only thing that kept it from like my my highest spots on the list, really, was the fact that um, oh, what would what was it? Uh, in the same way the original Terraforming Mars doesn't do any player scaling, so if you're playing a two-player game, you literally have to do twice as much work. Not take twice as much time, but do twice as much work. Um, it just That kind of struck us as a little odd. I think there's a solution for it. I look forward to getting a final version of the game um, you know, and, and trying out and seeing how um, you know, the non-prototype version works. Because, I, I, again, I talked about it in the run-through. Suffice to say, it's a minor, minor complaint. It's a really... I saw a lot of people like really picking apart that complaint. Like, oh, the game is ruined. Like, no, the game is phenomenal. I, it doesn't need any changing at all. It's absolutely great. It's my number four of the month in a month of great games. Wait, do you see what's coming? But um, it's still something I would have liked to see tw- just a little bit. In the same way that Race for the Galaxy does player scaling, I would have liked to see some player scaling here. And it's the only thing that's missing from an otherwise flawless game. My number four of the month, uh, Terraforming Mars, the Ares expansion. But let's move on to number three, Stroganov. I think this is the last uh, paid Kickstarter preview I've got. Uh, And this one is live on Kickstarter right now. This is also doing very well. It is the latest big, sprawling, epic uh, Euro game, goods conversion game from Andreas Stedding, who is a very well-respected designer. He's been working for quite a while. He's Mr. Hans of Hanukkah. Last year or the year before, he gave us Gugong and Stroganov. I mean, this might be... I I would be shocked if this doesn't go down as his biggest, most successful game to date. It's doing very well on Kickstarter. It's gorgeous. It's all about the Stroganov family um, using the uh, Cossacks to tame the Siberian uh, East. And uh, which, were, which, you know, for a lot of people makes uh, for very uncomfortable subject matter, quite frankly. It has a lot to do with hunting. And, um, you know, because there's this whole economy of animal furs. And, you know, for some people, that's going to be a real problem. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit... For me and Jen, it wasn't our favorite subject, but the gameplay is so good. And this game is so rich and thematically evocative of the time. It really... Well, that, is my, that leads to my only complaint about this game. The gameplay is phenomenal. Um, if you're relatively comfortable with the subject matter. The only thing that's missing is, as rich as a tapestry... This presented to us of history, I really desperately want to see the developers include that history in the rule book. Um, because of course, you know, that you know, it was not all just, oh, it's just we're going out and hunting animals. You know, there were definitely um, you know, conflicts between peoples, and I and I suspect, you know, the interacting with the yurt huts to just spontaneously disappear after we interact with them. Thematically, I would really like to know what that means. I would like uh this game stands to act to work as such a wonderful history lesson for a history I know nothing about. And um, and I personally think a really great game can be a wonderful tool to give you a better understanding of human history, the good and the bad. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the final version because I suspect uh, the, the the developers understand that and will be delivering on that as well. At least that's based on what I think they've talked about uh, because I mentioned this in the in the, my final thoughts and then people asked about it and the publisher said, yes, yes, yes. Uh, we totally understand. We are definitely going to be trying to 
to make sure history comes alive and this game uh, you know does not you know just overlook uh, anything that was happening in this time and so good on them but all that aside it's a fantastic design um kind of hard to describe it uh, it's not really quite like anything else. Watch my run-through, but it's deep, it's rich, um, very, very challenging, and it's combo-tastic like crazy. So many ways that you can trigger all kinds of really big, interesting, super moves that trigger all kinds of stuff. Really, a lot of fun. My number three of the month, Stroganoff. But then we move on to number two, the Red Cathedral. And folks... This has now punched its way in to my top 10 games of 2020. Remember, I did my preliminary, I stress preliminary, top 20, top 10 games of 2020 in December, like everybody does. But then, over the ensuing months, I play more games. And I'll be doing an update probably in April or May, maybe June, because i got a lot of games still to play from 2020. But I finally got Red Cathedral to the table, and it, it lives up to all the hype I had been hearing. This game is fantastic. It is a dice rondelle game uh, where the dice that are on the rondelle tell you how far you can move and therefore indicate what actions you can take. And then after you take those actions, you re-roll the dice and that totally changes up the rondelle. And just that is awesome. Just that is fantastic. But what are we doing? We're using the rondelle to gather resources to be able to construct St. Basil's Cathedral, the, uh, the, the Red Cathedral. And uh, there is so much interplay between players because as uh, players start to build sections, that opens up other sections that other players can build and there's big bonuses for choosing different sections. And um, if players who are building on the higher sections construct their parts before the foundation is done, the players who committed to the foundation suffer for penalties, so there's this really strong race aesthetic to it, where you're just rushing, 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 trying to bend that rondelle to its will, even if it won't give you what you want. Because then there's other stuff. Not only is the rondelle so cool because of the way it uses dice, it is a programmable rondelle as well, so you can make different dice, have different um, extra bonuses that you can use. And if all that weren't enough, the thing that the extra secret sauce that layers on top is you have very, very limited storage space for the resources you can get. So sometimes you can make that rondelle give you a huge windfall of resources. But if you take all those resources, that gobbles up all your storage and you can't jettison stuff. So you can find yourself in a spot where I've got nothing but brick and I cannot use it. What am I going to do? And you have to be very, very cautious. It's a brilliant game. It currently sits at my number 10 slot for 2020. Still plenty of games that might not make it, but right now, I mean, just talking about it makes me want to play it again. Jen and I were both really blown away by my number two of the month, Red Cathedral. But that leaves number one, Fam, which was another 2020 game. And so as you might imagine, Fam has strongly pushed. I think it's now at my number five or my number six of the year. This is such an amazing game. It's from designer Freedom and Freeze, Mr. Power Grid, although, of course, he's done many, many games over the years. And here's the deal, folks. I have played a lot of Freedom and Freeze's games. I might even go so far as to say I probably played most of his games. And um, as far as I'm concerned, this is the man's best game ever. And I'm including Power Grid in that. And I'm ignoring the fact that, yeah, of course you could say Power Grid isn't really great because it's not at its best with two players. I've played Power Grid with more players. I still think Fam is the better game. Fam is... Uh, Friedman Freeze's Concordia. In that it has... I mean, it, you know, I mean it, 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 it may look simple and plain, 
But do not be do not judge a book by its cover. This game is so deep and rich. Um, the interplay between players, because we're all building a communal um, the the fam basin, which uh, four thousand years ago was basically a man made. Uh, agricultural paradise that we it was one of the first places you they found evidence of farming in ancient Egypt and we are developing all this land but we don't own any of the land we develop it everything belongs to the pharaoh so players are constantly doing development that immediately plays into the hands of their opponents and players are constantly piggybacking off each other and building bigger and bigger things so that in and of itself is cool but we've seen that kind of thing before what really makes this game special well it takes the market system from power grid which is one of the most brilliant gameplay mechanisms of all time. Uh, the way that you can get... Uh, but in Power Grid, where it's just bringing in uh, just a bunch of power stations that all pretty much do the same things, just in different ways. Here, this game comes with... I forget. It's a big deck of cards. And every time you play, those cards are going to come available to you in radically different orders because it uses the Power Grid market system. You can watch my run-through to see how that works if you don't know what that means. And that creates so much variety. Cards that come out early in one game might not come out to the end of another game, and that so changes the feel of the game. But that's not all. There's even more. The, uh, the interplay between players on the map is fantastic. The, the, the variability that comes from the market system is amazing. Those pale in comparison to the hand card play. Because on your turn, you're, it's a deck builder of sorts. Or a hand builder, like Concordia. You have your hand of cards. On your turn, you can play one of those cards to do its power and put it in the discard pile. Or you can buy a card that's on the market to put in your hand so you can play that in a future turn. Or the third thing you can do is you can recover all your cards. But here's the deal. Lots of games do this. Concordia does this. Lewis and Clark does this. It, it's, it's really become very commonplace. Here's how fam turns it all on their heads. You only, by default, get to recover the top three cards of your discard pile. So if you have played a whole bunch of cards, and some of those cards you really want, you played uh, early on, so they're at the bottom of the discard pile, when you go to recover your cards, those really good cards are buried. How are you going to get them back? Because all you get is the top three. Now, you get the top three for free. You can spend money, which is a very important resource, to go dig and get more and more of those cards back. But that's money you could have spent instead buying new, even more powerful cards. And this has got to be maybe the mechanism of the year. The mechanism of 2020 is the way this game does hand management. It's brilliant. It's so immediately simple and elegant and thematic and so rich with decision making and it creates so much interesting tension and so much long-term and short-term decisions you have to make. It is brilliant. Like I said, this is why it makes it comfortably into my top 10 games of 2020. Fam, watch my run through. Uh, I am, And again, if, if you're inclined to say, oh, I just don't like the way it looks, you know what? It doesn't matter about how it looks. Although, personally, I think it looks nice and clean and elegant. It looks like a classic uh, modern Euro game. But forget all that. It's how it plays. And ah, fam, my number one game of the month. And uh, I think that is it, folks. 15 games. And um, as always, we will be covering more games in March. You can hit that eye in the top right corner screen to go to the coming soon so you can see what will in fact be coming soon over the next four months. And then, uh, four months, four weeks. And then we'll be back here again doing this countdown, this roundup one more time. And as always, thanks for watching, everybody. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. And of course, uh, thanks to Fun Again Games for supporting the show. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye.